0: What do you hold on to is really valuable? That's that's so valuable to you that it shapes your life, uh, your family, your work, hobbies, money, your pets. Another question, similar, is what do you guard? to keep from being ruined or corrupted or forgotten. What do you watch over really closely to make sure that doesn't happen? Maybe some family heirlooms, family history, classic cars, antiques, old Slim Whitman albums. Most of us have Something more valuable than any of us, any of these things, and some of these things are good. But most of us have something that's more valuable than any of these things, and that's the Scripture's the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God; is more valuable than any anything, and it, God has given it to us His Word as a trust to see how well how we will use it and value it. So today, what Paul will say to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 will help us understand how do we hold the value of the Word of God, how do we guard the Word of God. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Figilus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains but when he arrived in in rome he searched for me earnestly and found me may the lord grant him to find mercy on, from the lord on that day and you well know how all all the the service he rendered to me at ephesus father we do ask that by your spirit, you would cause your word to be effective in us, to understand it better, more clearly, and to understand the value of it and how you want us to hold it and guard it. Work these things in us, Father, according to your grace according to your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, Second Timothy is written from prison. Paul's in prison. He knows he's going to be executed soon, so he knows his life, his time is left is short. He is giving Timothy his final instructions to prepare him to carry on Paul's ministry. So he's setting Timothy up to carry on his work. Paul understood from the model of Jesus that his priority was to make disciples who make disciples. And Paul will write about that in uh, chapter 2. He says, What you have heard from me, Timothy, entrust to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So far, Paul has instructed Timothy to fan and to flame his gift, so keep your gift on fire, he says. He's told him to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to share in suffering for the gospel according to God's will. And uh, he says, do that because Christ saved us because he he powerfully saved us from sin and death, you can trust him and you can suffer for the cause of the gospel because it's worth it. Now Paul instructs Timothy to follow the pattern of words of truth and guard the truth. In telling Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words, he's talking about healthy words, literally that's the word, healthy words, that you have heard from me. He's saying keep holding fast to the standard of healthy gospel words that you have heard me teach. Timothy is to keep holding to the standard of the truth of the gospel that Jesus entrusted to the apostles. He is not to reshape it, to revamp it, to, to water it down, to dumb it down, to change it, just because the culture doesn't accept it. Times and cultures change, for sure. But the truth of the gospel and the scriptures is, in general does not change. It never changes. Now we do have to understand how it applies to the times in which we live. Um, we, we do need to do that. But the reason the scriptures are relevant to the times in which we live is that they are given to us by our infinitely wise and knowing, all-knowing creator and our redeemer, Jesus Christ. They never get outdated because God, God doesn't miss anything. He knows exactly what we need in terms of giving us truth. The words of gospel-centered truth given to us by the apostles are healthy, life-giving words. That is what Paul said back in in verse 10 of the same chapter, that through the gospel, Christ Jesus defeated death and brought eternal life and immortality to light. He did that through the gospel. We can't create eternal life and immortality by our own resources and efforts. Death's defeat... And eternal life and immortality were accomplished and purchased for us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can only receive the benefits of what Jesus accomplished through faith in the sound words of the gospel. So the gospel is how we get what Jesus did on the cross and how what he accomplished in his resurrection. That's how we get it. And to receive eternal life through the healthy words of the gospel doesn't only take effect after you die, and go to be with Jesus, you begin living your best life now. Your best life now is actually the life of the future, when you will be sin-free and death-free, downloaded into this life in part. You begin living your best life now, even in this life. It begins breaking into your present life, the life of the future that Christ has for us. It begins freeing and transforming you to become like Jesus. And that's where the launching point is today for those who are baptized. Is they're, they're, they're taking those steps to conform themselves to Christ, even though he's done the work for them. They've received it, and now they're going to intentionally live that out. Becoming like Jesus means loving what he loves, hating what he hates, and being passionate about what he's passionate about. So Jesus begins rewiring our hearts and our minds to think his thoughts, to have his attitudes. Now, the pressure is great today to not follow this, the pattern of sound words, to not hold fast to the gospel-centered truth, once for all delivered to God's people. There are all kinds of reasons for that. And one reason is the Bible is old. It started being written 3,500 years ago, and it quit being written 2,000 years ago. We assume we must have progressed beyond much of what it teaches because it's just old. Now we have science and Internet, and we're so smart. J.I. Packer describes the heretical spirit of, of our age this way. The newer is truer. Only what is recent is decent. Every change is a step forward, and every latest word must be hailed as the last word on its subject. That is what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. You came here today to get that phrase. Isn't it a great phrase? Chronological snobbery? You say, yeah, that's great. What is it? Chronological snobbery is the um, uncritical acceptance of whatever the current thinking is. And the assumption that whatever is old is out of date and irrelevant. So it's you just uncritically accept whatever is new and you reject whatever's old. Chronological snobbery. Another reason the pressure is strong to, to, to not hold fast to the sound gospel words that we have received from the apostles and prophets is because everyone has a right, we, we assume everyone has a right, that because everyone has a right to their own opinion, their own beliefs, that it is just flat wrong to claim that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, one, is the one way to God. That's just wrong. How can you say that? The world has churned out a smorgasbord of beliefs about God and spirituality. In other words, there are so many different views the gospel of Jesus Christ can't be the only true way. Surely all that matters is that we are sincere. Whatever we believe, as long as we're sincere like Linus and his pumpkin patch. He was deceived. And Sally has been in therapy ever since. Check out the movie. It's really exciting. In other words, the objection is that there are so many different options. There can't be just one way to God. On the other hand, some say that even though there are different options, it doesn't matter after all because all religions teach basically the same thing. So it doesn't matter. All religions teach the same, the same thing. So what, what you don't need to get all upset that there's so many different religions and spiritualities. Sorry. But no other religion teaches that we're saved, as you heard today, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Nobody else teaches that. It's radically different from any other view of spirituality or religion. And it's either true or it's false. But they can't all be true at the same time. I could go on, but the bottom line reason that the pressure is great not to hold to gospel-centered truth is that people want to believe what they want to believe. They want to believe according to their desires. What the Bible calls sound or healthy words People apart from Christ find foolish or offensive. In fact, later in this letter, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. There is that same word, sound teaching, healthy teaching. But having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own desires. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Because people need to have a story, a master story that makes sense of their lives. So they, they're not, they don't reject the gospel and, and go into nothing. They find another story that makes sense of life. When Paul exhorts Timothy to follow, to hold fast to the sound words he heard from Paul. He is not just asking Timothy to intellectually hold to a set of beliefs. He says to hold them in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, faith in Christ means there's certain things you believe in. You believe in specific words, sound words, that the apostles and prophets have given to us that are in the Scriptures. We believe in specific words, specific truths. But you hold these sound words in faith in Christ Jesus in a loving, trusting, lo- uh, living relationship with him. It's not just a set of beliefs that you, that you hold, that you check off, say, hey, I believe these things. They're, they're a faith living reality for you. By faith in Christ, we're united to him so that we, we love with the love that is in Christ. So because we're connected to Christ, his love works through us. The world may reject our beliefs, but they should be able to see that we love one another and that we love them in the way that Christ loved and loves. But our culture thinks love means tolerance and approval of whatever choices one makes. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we hold to the sound words of Scripture and love people in a way that they understand that they're being loved? I don't know. But there is a way that you can do it. You don't have an attitude of condemnation toward people because like them, you're also a sinner. Like Jesus who didn't condemn the woman caught in adultery who said to her, I don't condemn you. But he said to her, now go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. So we, we have that posture to the culture. Hey, you, you, you need to be safe from sin, but I'm not condemning you. I'm offering you the, the words of life. You love them by treating them with respect and kindness, by doing good for them. You don't belittle and mock them. You don't tweet about them with disparaging words. You are for them as human beings created in God's image. You are not for their choices to the extent they go against God's word. But you don't treat them as if you are better than them, since you know you came to hold the saving truth of of the gospel only because of God's own purpose and grace, as Paul said back in verse 9. The only reason that any of us ever came to Jesus is because God purposed it, and he saved us by his grace. He just, by his grace, gave us faith to believe, and redeemed us in Christ. It wasn't anything in ourselves. He didn't spot, hey, now that's a really lovely person. I think I might sign them up for my team. He, just by grace, saves. In baptism, we are declaring that since we have been spiritually united to Jesus, we are devoting our lives to obeying all he commanded us hope you knew you were signing up for that. That is, in other words, you're, you're going to debate what the New Testament teaches. So we commit ourselves to being discipled, that is, learning relationships with others in the church, with the local church that holds and follows to the pattern of sound words in scriptures. This is what Jesus said in his last commission to the final marching orders to his disciples was, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. To be baptized into the name of the triune God, to be baptized, why why did we say that? Because Jesus said, baptize them into the name of the Trinity, means that you're receiving what God promises to give you, to make you his own by his grace. The, the father plan that the, that the son carried out, that the spirit applies, and that you are submitting yourself to live under his rule, to represent his name. God's reputation is a stake. You bear his name, his character, his goodness, his, his reputation. You are saying your life is going to follow the pattern of sound words of the apostles as recorded in the New Testament in the faith and love there in, in Christ Jesus. That's what you're saying when you're baptized. Then in verse 14, Paul says, very similar to what he says in verse 13. So we get it again, but a little bit different emphasis. In verse 13, he's calling Timothy and us to follow or to hold fast to the healthy words of, the, of, of that Paul taught. Now he emphasizes that Timothy is to guard the good deposit entrusted to him. The good deposit God has entrusted to us is his gospel-centered truth in particular, but the scriptures in general. What does Paul mean when he tells Timothy to guard the truth? What does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean keep the truth locked away in a, in a closet somewhere, and so that don't let anybody touch it. He means keep teaching the truth according to the scriptural and apostolic teaching. Keep, keep making the truth known correct the corruption and dumbing down of the truth and build into your disciples the clear teaching of Scripture. The clear teaching of Scripture. So much of Scripture is clear. There are some things that are hard to understand. Don't get bogged down in that. God continues to help us understand the hard-to-understand things, but there's so much that's clear. The main things are the plain things. The plain things are the main things, for sure. The way to guard the truth is to raise up disciples of Jesus who... Know, love, and obey, and live the gospel-centered truth of the Scripture. An extremely important way that God has provided for us is that he got it in writing. He gave it to us in writing. So he, it wasn't just passing down stories from generation to generation. That's good to do that, but it's he made sure that we got a book. And it's a huge gift, In the English-speaking world, we have several good Bible translations. And Bibles coming out of our ears, out of the out of Internet, out of printing presses. Our, our houses probably each have a dozen or more Bibles in some way or another. church is full of Bibles. It wasn't always that, that way. Prior to the 1500s in, in England, the Bibles were primarily, primarily in Latin. Uh, John Wycliffe had done some translating from the Latin Vulgate, to English, but there were not plenty of those scriptures and it wasn't translated from the original Greek and Hebrew. So basically they were left with Bibles in Latin and very few people had them anyway. So a man named William Tyndale became determined to make the scriptures accessible to the common people. One evening a priest challenged him in his interpretation of a difficult text. During the debate, the priest declared his perspective on the value of Scripture. He said, we had better be without God's law than the Pope's, the priest said. In other words, it would be better to be without God's word than to be without the Pope's word. And William Tyndale said, if God spares my life, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the Scripture than you do. This goal to make the scriptures accessible to everyone in England became William Tyndale's driving passion. He requested permission to translate the Greek New Testament into English, but his bishop rejected his request. So Tyndale fled to Germany and began translating the scriptures anyway. Tyndale had a written had, he had written a tract, posted on Facebook denouncing the annulment of King Henry VIII's wedding vows. King Henry VIII wanted to divorce his wife. The church wouldn't let him, so he said, okay, now I'm the head of the church in England. He just, As a king, you can do that. You can just become the head of the church. And I say that I can get divorced. And they didn't even have it recorded on secret tape. So uh, when when Tyndale wrote this tract saying this is a bad thing for King Henry VIII to do, uh, he became public enemy number one. So be careful. The king issued an edict declaring that Tyndale's translation was corrupt and should be utterly rejected. Eventually Tyndale was betrayed into the hands of his enemies and put in prison. For more than a year, William Tyndale suffered in a castle dungeon, still determined now, he had finished translating the, the Greek New Testament, now he was trying to translate the, the Hebrew, uh, Old Testament from Hebrew into English. One day in early October 1536, Tyndale was taken from his cell and tied to a post. As branches were piled around his feet, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Moments later, William Tyndale was strangled to death, and then they burned him, strangled him, then, then burned him. The next year, God answered Tyndale's dying plea. King Henry VIII approved the, the Matthews version of the Bible. What the king didn't know was that Matthew was a pseudonym, that's a fake name, uh, that a friend of Tyndale's used the false name Matthew Thomas Matthew to disguise the fact that this Bible was mostly the work of William Tyndale. This became called the Great Bible, later with some revisions of the Geneva Bible, and later with some revisions the King James Bible. About 90% of what Tyndale uh, translated entered into the King James Bible. Thank God he has worked through people like William Tyndale to guard the truth of the Scriptures so that it is not lost to the truth-suppressing efforts of the enemies of Christ. It is a privilege to be entrusted to guard the gospel-centered truth of the Scriptures. But how can God trust people like you and me to do that? Well, in verse 12, Paul had said that God is able to guard what he entrusted to Paul, or it could also be translated what Paul entrusted to God, either as Either way, it works. Until the day of Christ's return. So because God is able to guard us for the day of, of Christ's return, we know that he will provide what we need to guard the gospel-centered truth he has entrusted to us. That is why Paul says to guard the deposit by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. What does it mean to guard the, guard the, the truth by the Holy Spirit? It means we ask God, so God gives us the Holy Spirit... And we ask him to to work through the power of the Holy Spirit, these things. We ask him things like, um, give us understanding of the scriptures by your spirit. We ask that he would open our eyes, that we would see wondrous things from your law. Let us see the wonder of your word. Let us see it as glorious and good. We ask that his spirit would would lead us into conviction in those areas where we're um, not in line with his word. We ask him to give us a heart of joyful obedience to his truth. We ask that he would cause us to love and obey his word, no matter what challenges we face in doing so. We ask that by his spirit he would empower the preaching and teaching of of his word in the ministry of of the church where we gather and we meet, because his word uh, causes word to dwell richly among us. To say that the deposit is good is like what he said earlier uh, in verse 13. He said in verse 13, he said the the words are healthy. Now he's saying the the, the deposit, what God has entrusted to us, is good. Are there bad deposits? Yeah. Just like calcium deposits in your body, in your organs, and in your blood vessels are are dangerous. So falsehood deposits are, are plentiful. They corrupt the healthy functioning of our church body. In fact, in chapter 2, Paul says that false teaching will spread like gangrene, eating up and destroying parts of the church. In your baptism, you are signing on to be a guardian of God's truth. You are all in for the truth of Scripture. You don't back away from it when it is uncomfortable to speak it or to live it. Is it worth guarding the truth? Is it worth standing for the truth? Following the standard of sound words. Well, Paul had suffered much for doing that, and uh he had spread it throughout Asia, and now that he is in prison and soon to be executed, it looks like his life is ending in abandonment and defeat. He's lonely, he's he's being rejected. At the end of, of this letter, Paul expresses his hope that the Lord will bring him safely to heaven. So Paul had a, a hope that he was going to uh, it was going to be worth it. Paul has encouraged Timothy to suffer for the gospel and guard the truth. Now Paul will give some examples of of some who were ashamed of Paul and one who was loyal to Paul. Paul was an apostle sent to spread the the truth of the gospel. so how people regarded Paul gave evidence of of whether they were ashamed of the gospel or whether they were guarding the truth of, of the gospel and so that's what he says in verse fifteen. he starts talking about these two people who have uh, uh, have left him. In Ephesus, where Timothy was serving, was the leading city of Asia. Paul says a great number of people in Asia turned from him. So, like all of Asia, just turned their backs on him, even though he had he, he had spread the gospel through so, ma- to so many people. <clears throat> Paul says that um, two people he names with the unfortunate names of Figilus and Hermogenes, or Fig and Hermie, for short. That helps. Paul probably names them because they were well-known, both Timothy and Paul. Did they turn away from the gospel too? If not, they may have been in danger of doing so, since that was what Paul lived and suffered for. But on the other hand, he talks about a guy named Onesiphorus. Or Oni for short even though his name was only slightly better than figilus and Hermogenes, he was an encourager of Paul. He often refreshed Paul. He made Paul fresh again. Hey, Paul, freshen up. Uh, do you refresh people who love Jesus? It's a good thing to do. When he arrived in Rome in verse 17, um, says, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. It's. Onesiphorus earnestly searched for Paul. Evidently, the Romans were keeping him in a secluded location. Onesiphorus could have just said, uh, Paul, all right, I tried. See you later. No, he searched for him eagerly, diligently. And, and in verse 18, Paul just says, hey, my prayer wish for, the, for Onesiphorus is that, he would find mercy from the Lord on that day, on the day of Christ. He showed mercy to Paul by risking his own safety and freedom to refresh Paul. When everybody else was rejecting him or, or ignoring him, he was risking being identified with Paul and th- thus risking being put in prison himself. And Paul also recalls when during his three-year time of ministry in Ephesus that Onesiphorus served him and, and cared for him. As Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Paul wishes a generous, merciful reward from the Lord for us. Do you go out of your way to help those who serve Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ? To encourage them even when you're discouraged? Are they your closest friends, gospel people? Do you put yourself at risk or inconvenience to refresh and encourage them? Are your closest friends or co-laborers those who love to uphold the clear truth of Scripture, who seek to advance the gospel, whose joy is in gospel-centered truth, And who cling to the gospel when they fail to uphold and be faithful to God's word. Because it's a battle to be faithful to God's word. And we need the gospel to continue to receive the refreshing and forgiveness. And to encourage one another in that. So, continue to learn from others God's word. Read it. Memorize it. Repent toward it. Obey it. Trust in it. Treasure it. Father, we thank you that the word has been guarded and held to over the centuries. And and we have more and more of it available. We We have a big responsibility, Father. We have a great stewardship it's a great privilege to be those who are putting on display your word you've blessed us so richly with so many resources to to get your word into us and get us into your word so help us father to be good students of your word to long for it to clear out the pollution that constantly invades our hearts and our minds to make your word seem weird and irrelevant and just Murky and, and burdensome, it should be the joy and delight of our hearts. So help us to continue to encourage one another in that. It's hard for us, Father, so we need, we need to be in it together to be those who help one another grow in loving and living your word. To do that by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So grant us that, Father. We know that you, you'd love to do this for us. Help us in Christ's name.